0: Um, Before we start the sermon, I don't know if you hate robocalls, but I do, so I don't answer them. This morning, about 9 o'clock, I was sitting, no, 8.30, I was sitting in the office and what I thought was a robocall came through, it said Liberia. And I thought, that has got to be a robocall. And then I thought, wait a minute, I know somebody who's in Liberia right now. So, um, (laughs) fortunately, I put two and two together before they quit. So I ended up talking to Adolphus this morning for 10 minutes. Um, And if you're a visitor here, we have a team of three people in Liberia right now working at the Lighthouse Christian Orphanage. And um, so they sent some pictures and wanted to give us an update. Here's an ice cream treat. Um, That's Adolphus buried in the bottom. (laughs) Um, One of the things that Adolphus has said is that You have over 50 kids here in this orphanage who, of course, just love and want love. And so they are just constantly being touched. The kids are just all around them, hugging them, holding on to them, and just uh, overjoyed at our team being there. And Jerry and Marilyn are the first white people these kids have ever seen. So it's just an amazement for them. Um, And things have gone extremely well. Um, These are some people, we think these are baptismal certificates because um, our folks are not only working at the orphanage and helping there, there's a revival going on and Adolphus has been preaching, I think Jerry as well, and they've had numerous people come forward and baptisms. Uh, They've been in the river almost every day baptizing people. Um, A soccer team came out to the orphanage to play with the kids and Adolphus and Jerry said, well, we need to preach to them as long as they're here. And so Adolphus preached to them, and some of them accepted Christ and were baptized. And so they're having a great experience. And they just wanted m- me to thank you all for uh, your prayers and helping them be over there. Uh, one other thing, uh, the team has bought three, two or three treadle sewing machines, new, but there's not electricity. So you have to do a treadle sewing machine. Marilyn is quite a seamstress. And she's so quiet, it's just so awesome how God is using this quiet woman to train these women to sew. Not just personally, but so they can generate income, create things and sell them, which income is a desperate need in that economy right there. But Marilyn confessed on the phone, she said, I've never used a treadle sewing machine. And going in the right direction, so the wheel goes in the right direction. It's not as easy as you think. And so, um, But they're making progress with that, and the women are excited by that. Marilyn is a wonderful, quiet Christian presence, and obviously having an impact. Um, There was a baby born yesterday, and the baby was named Marilyn. And that probably is a little indication of the impact they're having. Now, one other thing to update you on, because we've been praying about this, and this is also, I think, important to see, because God doesn't always answer our prayers like we think we've been praying for the container and God has opened a door and given Adolphus and the team a new advocate in the capital Monrovia who is a shipper and he's helped them greatly but in the process of researching what has happened to the container we've now discovered this week that it was actually uh, sold at auction and the goods are gone as of right now and we think that was all done by our official broker who was supposed to let us know when it was free and to be paid and he didn't do that. He knew the contents because he was our broker and saw enough value in the contents that he didn't let Pastor Grigsby even know. So now further research is being done by this new shipper that we, they feel very confident in. Uh, We know the name of the broker that did this and they're trying to research that if there's any repercussions But as Jerry, the ex-policeman, said, there is just a high level of corruption in this country and a lot of bribes, etc., and uh, that's part of the struggle. And so they're researching that today. And part of the reason I share that with you is not always when we pray for God to fix something does he fix it like we think he should. But he does say that he is greater and that even in bad things he will use them for good. And so we need to continue to pray. Um, what will evolve out of this, what will come from that container and its contents? we don't yet know. They're still working on it. But we were praying, we thought I thought. They're going to go in next last Tuesday, and it'll be released, etc. And that's not what happened. And that's part of the spiritual life. And um, it is part of what stretches our faith, and it is part of how we learn to trust God and watch how He brings good things from bad things. So continue to pray for Adolphus and Mary. This is part of the revival um, that they're having, and uh, they've been preaching there, and great things are happening. So they're there for one more week. They come home on the 10th. So pray for them this week, and um, they'll be coming home and see how God uses them this time. So I just had to give you that update as I got that phone call this morning. I'm so glad I answered it. Okay, Um, do you like to choose your player when you're ready to play a game? I always like Clue, because they're such cool players. You know, who do you feel like today? Uh, Professor Plum or Miss Scarlet? Um, Mrs. Peacock? And you sort of get to pick your player, and sometimes you'll argue with other people over who wants which character, um, because you want to sort of be that person for the game. Uh, Unfortunately, Candyland is a little more boring. I've got four characters over here, um, and in the game Candyland, which is really what we're basing this sermon series off of, you really just get to pick your color, and that's about the only choice you get. When you're playing games, as we saw last week, as we started looking at this and thinking about the Christmas story through the lens of this random board game, one of the things that we saw is that everybody does have to play this game, whether you want to or not. Now, if your family's like my family and you're together for a holiday and somebody says that, let's play a game, you get a, quite a mixed reaction, don't you? Uh, some people scatter and they're just, where, where'd they go? They just vanish because they don't want to play a game. And of course, there's others, that, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just, which game and how quick can we get it out and play that game? Well, this game, as we saw, it happened. And we're in this game. Christmas happened. As Mark said in the prayer time, it is a reality, more real than me and you sitting here. Jesus really did come to earth. God broke into human history in some amazing ways. So it does sort of look like that crazy Candyland game board because it goes all over and twists and turns and setbacks and and jump-aheads, but that's reality. It happened. And the same for us. Life is here. Life is happening. We don't get to choose and say, I don't want to play. We're here. We're in it. And our lives take those same kind of twists and turns just as we saw in the first Christmas story. But the good news of this story is that God has broken into history. And Christmas happened. Christ came to earth because God cares about us. Even though we are not perfect, even though we are sinners, and and just like that thief on the cross, we're not worthy. But Christ said, but I'll die for you. Christ said, I will leave heaven and come to earth and take the form of a baby because you need me to, we needed him to. And so the good news of that Christmas story is that it did happen and it happened because we needed it to happen. And our lives are happening. But we can live our lives alone, trying to do our own thing Or with God's help in this game of life. And that's our choice. So, which player will you be? There's all kinds of characters in the Bible story of Christmas. There's Mary and Joseph as the children looked at today. And they would be the main characters. But there's really a whole host of characters in the Christmas story. If you look at everyone that was involved. There's young, there's old, there's men, there's women, there's people who were very important. There's a king, Herod the Great is involved in the Christmas story. There's magi, probably from Persia, modern Iran, counselors to the king, very powerful, very wealthy people. They're right in the middle of the Christmas story. There's what we in our terms today would call the middle class. Zechariah and Elizabeth of, of the tribe of Levi, very obviously successful people, though not wealthy. There's a small business owner who owns an inn in Bethlehem. He's involved in the story. There's also a tradesman, a carpenter. And then there's minimum wage people like shepherds very looked down upon, not valued by their culture, their society. There's even a member of the youth group, a teenage girl involved. There's quite a variety of characters involved in this story that God chose. God's working through all of those. And that, to me, is one of the important lessons of how God did Christmas. None of this is by accident. Please understand that. And by God's choice, you see all these different people involved. Not just age or power or gender or good or bad. They're all there. But that also tells us that whoever we are today, God's interested in us. And God wants us in His story and uh, Him in our story. We fit in God's life and God's plan. And I think sometimes we look at ourselves and we might say, no, somebody else. Or those people up on stage, or those leaders, or those teachers. Yeah, God uses them. I see that. But me? Well, you're probably in this story. God uses people just like you. And God is interested in people just like you. He's interested in you. But there's something, in a sense, more important and the external circumstances of all of those characters. Everything I've talked about so far is, in a sense, what you see on the outside. Their age, their gender, how wealthy they were, powerful, etc. But you know, those things we don't really control a lot. I don't control how I was born, I don't control the, the family I was born into. All of those external things, a lot we have no control over. But those are just circumstances, not what's most important. What's most important is something we can control. And that is which kind of player we choose to be in this game of life. Just like these different characters in the story. Because we do get to choose how we play this game. Are we going to be a character in this story, in this game, who is reluctant and miserable? You've all seen that. Maybe you're one of those when you're drug into the family game and they sort of sit at the end of the table with their arms folded. Oh, do I have to play this? Or there's the cheat that nobody wants to play with. You've got to keep your eye on them because they're always fudging the cards and trying to get around the rules. Or there's the person who enters into the game full-hearted and enjoys it and has the greatest time. The attitudes of the character makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Much more than the circumstances on the outside. It's our perspective on the inside. And we see that in the Christmas story. We see that in Mary. Mary, who is this young girl, and suddenly this angel appears to her. She maybe has some dreams about getting married, starting a family, having a very normal life. And suddenly this angel out of the blue appears to her and says, Guess what, Mary? You're greatly favored by God. In fact, God has chosen you to be the mother of the Messiah. And you're going to have a baby. Mary still has a choice at some point of how do you react to that. And we hear what she says in Luke 1.38. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm available to God however He wants to use me. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let it happen to me as you've predicted. And then the angel left her. Mary said to God, God, I'm available for you. I want to be in your game, and I want to cooperate, and I want to do what you want me to do. I'll go along with your plans, God. Well, then there's Joseph. And Joseph, he got a little more of a curveball, Joseph was a little bit older. He had probably apprenticed to be a carpenter. He's now ready to start his own life, be a carpenter, earn income, get married, probably build his own house, and start a family and settle down. He's a righteous man, we're told. And he just sees this wonderful life about to open up for him. And then it's discovered that his fiancé is pregnant. And you know, despite the fact that she says, well, this is from God, he's like, yeah, right. And he's going to break it off. I think all of us would have had that same reaction until an angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, God has a different plan for you. The the game board just took a sharp curve, Joseph. Are you going to come along? And we read in Matthew But after he had considered this, putting Mary aside, breaking off the engagement, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. We see another reaction to the game and the twists and the turns. And what did Joseph do? Okay, this seems impossible. This seems crazy. But if God, if that's what you need, I'm your man. And he trusted that leading from God, that angel, and he took Mary home. And not only did he take Mary home, we know after that fact that he very much raised Jesus and participated fully in all of that. He too said to God, okay, this is uh, crazy, but okay. A third attitude, perspective is Zechariah. This is Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. Zechariah was successful. He had been married for many decades, many, many years. We're told that he and Elizabeth were quite elderly, but they'd never had children. And there's two things I want you to understand about that because we see a childless couple today, and, and sometimes couples make that choice. But in the ancient world, to be childless was terrible in two reasons. One was that your children were your retirement. I mean, how were you going to live when you couldn't work? It was up to your children. There was no social security and there was no insurance. It was your children that would support you. So if you didn't have children, there was a time coming when you could no longer work physically when who was going to support you? There was nobody. But for somebody who was very devout and in a religious sense, there was probably an even worse outcome of having no children. And that is the belief of that day was very clear that if you did not have children, there was clearly some sin in your life and God was punishing you. You were unrighteous. It may have been in some hidden way and not some obvious way, but there was clearly something God had against you. And that's why he wasn't allowing you to have children. And so for both of those reasons, it was a terrible sentence to be childless. And that's exactly where Zechariah and Elizabeth were and had been for a very long time. And then, of course, Zechariah takes his turn to go to the temple in Jerusalem and is in the holy place and doing his duties and he is told, Zechariah, guess what? I have good news for you. It's the angel Gabriel. And he says, your prayers have been answered and you're going to have a baby. We read in Luke, Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in her years. Physically, this is impossible. How do I know you're really telling the truth? i just love this picture the angel said to him i am gabriel i stand in the presence of god and i have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news and you doubt me and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time I would have loved to have a video camera in that moment inside that holy place. And suddenly Zechariah can't talk because he doubted. He doubted that what God said would happen would really happen because a miracle was involved, the impossible. And like a lot of us who are pretty skeptical, it's like, well, show me the proof. And that's exactly where Zechariah was. And that skepticism caused him some suffering. Now, John the Baptist still came along. Elizabeth was pregnant, and all of that really happened, but Zechariah's skepticism cost him something in the process. There's another character involved, and that's the innkeeper. Now, if you read the Bible literally, it doesn't say there was an inn. It just says there were no guest rooms available in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. Now, I'm one of those who likes to picture an inn and an innkeeper. But there were clearly some people who didn't make room for Jesus. They were busy. In some ways, this was a a landfall of income for Bethlehem. Because due to Caesar's census, everybody had to go to their city of origin of the family. And so suddenly, Bethlehem was inundated with guests who needed to stay and eat. So if you had a guest room or if you ran a source of food, you were busy as can be. And it would be so easy to be too busy for this young couple who obviously weren't extremely wealthy. And it would be easy to say, sorry, I'm busy. I don't need the extra hassle. And there were clearly some people in Bethlehem who had that reaction to this young couple from Nazareth, far away, who had come down and needed a place to stay. That's why we read in Luke 2 while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Too busy, too busy working. Well, there's one more I have to mention, and that's King Herod. Uh, Obsessed with his power and his wealth, he was already king. Uh, He had it all. Um, He was in control. And we know from history, not the Bible, we know from history, that anybody that threatened his power, he had them killed. And he had numerous officials and numerous of his own family members, he had them murdered because they threatened his power. And he saw this news that there might be a baby king born that directly fit in to his paranoia and his feeling threatened. And so, of course, he did everything he could to find this baby and have this baby killed. He wanted to be in control. He didn't care what he heard God was doing. And there were others the Magi, Simeon, Anna, these were amazed, they were thrilled, they were amazed at what God was doing, they were open to that miracle. But as we look at this Christmas story and all the different characters that were in it and the different kinds of characters, the different attitudes among these characters, I want to bring that down to us today and ask us, what kind of player do we want to be? What kind of character do we want to choose? You're in this game. We can't not play this game of life. Do you want to choose somebody like Mary and Joseph and be open to what God is doing? As God may put His finger on you and say, hey, can you do this for me? I need some help over here. And it may be surprising, like it was for both of them. Are you open to that? Probably, for a lot of you, there's already something in your heart, your mind, something that God may have been bringing up for you. Maybe you've been trying to ignore it. I'll do that, especially if I don't like it. If it seems scary or unpleasant, God has to tap me on the shoulder several times. Is God tapping you on the shoulder about something? Serving in some way, a person to talk to, something you need to do, a way to help or serve. Are you going to be that kind of character who says, okay, God, I, I, you're asking a lot of me. I, I'm not sure I'm the right one, but if you want me to try and do this, are you going to be willing to do that? Are you like the Magi? I love them. They are paying attention and they want to follow God. But then when it actually happens, I think it had to be surprising to them. And then they're going to, and we're going to pack up and travel three, four countries away to go check this out. We got to. And they don't want to miss out on what God is doing. Because they know if God is doing something and moving in some way, this is going to be huge. And they don't want to miss out. Is that some sense in your life where God is doing something? And do you hear that? That sign, that star, that something saying, Come on, get out of your pew, get out of your seat, get out of your comfort. Let's go find this. Don't miss out on what God is doing. And of course, there's always the danger for a lot of us today that we're like the innkeeper, too busy. Maybe we hear that little prompting of God that I need you over here, or could you help here, but we're busy. And we can easily come up with ten reasons why we don't have time. But you wonder, did the innkeeper ever regret? Wow, think what we missed. Don't miss by being too busy when God taps you on the shoulder. And of course, the greatest one to fear is being like Herod. But that's very real today. Not that we're kings and queens But we can become very committed to having control, calling the shots. I want to do it my way. And I want what I want. And I'm very clear on that. And I've decided that. And then God comes along and says, no, wait a minute, I've got something else. And we can fight against God. We can try and ignore Him. Because we are committed to our way and our plans and how we want to do it. But be careful. Because while that seems the secure way, the certain way, because it's my way, don't ever forget the outcome of Herod. Jesus came anyway, and Herod didn't get him. And he lived, and Herod died. Because you can't fight God. God is God. The good news is this God that at times we may fear or try and avoid, Christmas shows us that this God actually cares a lot about us. And He came to earth because of how much He cares. And letting Him run the game, letting Him have control in our lives, it shouldn't scare us, though it may, but we don't need to be afraid. Because He is such a good God, and He loves us so much. One of the verses that gets memorized a lot is Jeremiah 29. Verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's who God is. That's the God of Christmas. That's the God who is running this game of life. Really, it's not us, it's Him. But we shouldn't avoid Him and run away from Him. Because this is the kind of God He is. And getting closer to Him and letting Him have a greater say in our lives and listening for His direction and His call and His prompting and His, I need your help. It shouldn't scare us. It is an invitation to be a part of the adventure of what he's doing in this world. And he says, I'd like you, just like Mary and Joseph and and, and the Magi, I'd like you to help me. Join in my story, God says. And what could be more exciting than that? What character will you be in your life with God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story and just all of the people involved that you chose to use or even those who tried to fight against you in the outcome. Father, there's so much to teach us, so much for us to learn. Help us honestly look at ourselves. Show us what kind of character we've been. But help us Help us choose to be like Mary and Joseph, like the Magi, like the shepherds, who when they heard something from you, they said, Yes, God, we want to follow you. Use us. We want to be your people. Help us be like them. In your Son's name, amen.